Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks I'm Carl Hartley And I'm Max Peterson And, oh my god Carl, it's the second It's our second foray back into it I th- It feels like we've It's our second Skypey yeah, if now that this is our second Skype, it feels like we're really doing it again. Now, Let's do it, man. If you listened to our Patreon episode, you know that Carl and I are gearing up for the great debate. Um, today we are talking about 2018's Widows, directed by Steve McQueen. Uh, right off the bat, I've got to point out it is once again Steve McQueen and Sean Bobbitt teaming up to drop the thunder, dude. Um, we haven't seen a dream team like this since Steven Spielberg and oh, what's his face that does his camera <laughs> shit? Because I didn't come prepared oh, with that information. What's his face that does his camera shit? I know Steven Spielberg and Goose McGuffin. I know who you're talking about. He did. Uh, he does have like a legendary cinematographer team yes, up. Yes, um, yes, they yes, d- yes. It's the dude who he did um, Saving Private Ryan with. They did a whole bunch mm-hmm. of other stuff, but that was like. Yeah, you can always tell with yeah. that particular pairing. But these two, holy mackerel. The- talk about. Syner- talk about synergy right like vision and vision and the, the like a, a shared vision and a shared delivery i'll on a say promise. i'll it's say so this good. the movie's real pretty i feel like this is this episode's gonna be a lot of me being like well yes i do see what you're saying here and you being like no 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 i totally agree and then <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> all right so this is starring viola davis michelle rodriguez colin farrell uh elizabeth debicki Cynthia, uh, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't even know what your last name is. My handwriting is that bad. I think it's Cynthia Arrivo. Uh, Danielle K- uh, Kaluuya, which is uh, Kaluuya. I should have looked this up, but he's also going to be in the next movie we talk about. He's the star of Get Out, which seeing, ah! seeing him pop up in this, I was like, oh, and he's a bad guy and he's a great bad guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> is this Here's one of your concessions? Per- it's one of my first. This is a big buttery bag of popcorn that I'm buying right now from that particular concession stand. Delicious. Yeah. He's, Holy shit. He's pretty fucking good. Um, I'm glad we're on the same page on that one. Oh uh, yeah. He he makes it watchable. <laughs> oh wow. Ooh, it's gonna be one of those snarly little nests. Not that bad. Sorry, um, we can continue with the. Cast. Yeah, it's it's a big cast too. Um, yeah, it's huge. And I don't want to cut any of it short because these are there's some heavy hitters like kind of deep in the bench. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry. Robert Duvall, Liam Neeson, Garrett Dillahunt. Don't know if you recognize Garrett Dillahunt, but as soon as I saw him, I was like, shit, shit, where do I know that guy from? Um, Last House on the Left remake. He plays the, yep. he's the main bad guy. And he and is he's 12 years a slave. He's the one that narks him yeah, out from he's, the, yeah. He's the, he's like the indentured servant, the white slave yep. that we meet who, yeah, yeah, totally flips on our, on our hero asshole. Good actor though. I like Garrett Dillahunt. Um, I think. I dig him. He's, I felt for him in this. He's, I think he's good in this one. He's uh, he's subtle. He's in the, this movie and Twelve Years a Slave. I think we see his like what he's capable of as a serious. We see actor. his chops in these two. Yeah, where he's just in like, Last House. He's actually, just in Last House, he's just big. Wait, wait, see what you're working with, you know? Like I, I like him in that as a character actor. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's got the best line in the Last House remake. He's like, I saw my brother in the kitchen. Good job. He is super fucking dead. <laughs> Like, you know. Yep. He, uh, John Bernthal, a.k.a. The New Punisher. Damn, he's, you know what? And we get him for, like, 
half a page, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. And you, yeah. Can't, you can't even really give him anything because he doesn't really have to do anything in this movie. He's just But I was to... like, oh, the Punisher. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. He's gone now. He's doing that thing where he he's gruff. And he, yep. I will say this, he does have the most grunty grunt ever. Because he's the one who gets shot. And when they're hauling him and he's like, uh, you're like, wow, I... I've in in my most masculine moment at the gym, I've never sounded as manly as you when you're hurt and weak. Um, and then finally, Lucas Haas, who is the uh, he's the guy with the he's the like the sugar daddy. Yep. But we also know him from Inception. He's the yep. uh, he's the Inception dude. Okay, so Carl, before we dive in, man, talk to me, talk to me, Goose. What okay. was it about this flick that? And it doesn't have to be all of it. Just give me, give me like the, the your big, the big thing that stuck okay, in your uh, craw. The, the big thing for yeah, me yeah. was this. It was overall, it was just sort of meh. Like it wasn't like just that great of a story overall. There were a lot of really small pieces of it that I enjoyed. Okay. Some of the political stuff was cool. All right. Um, the the blurring of the lines of politicians and what side you're on and like what gentrification that whole like story like the colin farrell's lengthy history in that part of the city with his, and his father family, and yeah. his, his whole family like being in involved in the whole growth of that region in the city i thought that was kind of cool i thought i don't know it's just the whole heisty part of it which you know is most of the movie uh, there's a lot more going on than the heist yeah. but it just felt a little like the Goonies meets, um, I don't know. I would rather watch Set It Off if it's gonna be like, I don't know. All right, it's just I don't know. No, it's, that's okay, uh, man. Look, it's what? just sort of like it's movies like Twelve Years a Slave and Hunger and Shame. They lend themselves very well to the pacing of Steve McQueen, where yeah. a heist movie doesn't necessarily do that for me okay. i get that it's not just a heist movie that is that happens to be the thing that the story is told around okay. but we spend so much time dealing with the heist that this is a heist movie this is more heat than it is shame yes yeah but 100%. it doesn't really land firmly in either of those you know sure it's just sort of it's not enough of one or the other and i'm just feeling like i it just it didn't land anywhere for me and i couldn't really pull myself into any, either of the story. I just didn't, yeah, this is kind of a mess Okay, for me. so for me, this, I, I disagree cordially. No, um, absolutely. For it's me, the, the slightly less interesting part, although I thought everything worked, but I was less interested in the politics and the election and that sort of thing. I, I loved this as a heist film, but let, I need to give you a little bit of context. So I have been reading uh, the Parker novels. It's a series of novels by Donald E. Westlake. Okay. He wrote them under a pseudonym. Um, um, oh, uh, uh, Stark. Richard Stark is the pseudonym that he wrote the Parker novels on. Parker's a thief. All he does is heists. Basically, Liam Neeson's character in this, if Liam Neeson didn't end up like a crying, wimpy, like broken coward at the end of the film, he would be Parker. That's like exactly what those books are about. This movie hits all of the moments all of like the beats the classic beats of a parker novel of a heist um like a a unique score set in like kind of a strange situation 
uh, the planning. One of the big things that I love in heist films is watching the heist get planned. Both Italian jobs are yeah. great. I love the warehouse. The warehouse scenes in any heist movie are like, ooh. Oh, yeah, ooh, yeah. We're going to build a scale model. Like, sorry, I didn't have time to build the scale or to paint it. And, like, yeah. Doc Brown puts the. <laughs> like, I love those moments in the heist movie. And that was here to some extent. I, I okay, so. Tupperware with dirt and pretending it's money. I get it. I'll just say I'll just say the note that I wrote down, and it's gonna sound just totally insane, because because I know we disagree about the movie, which is okay, and we'll have the discussion and we'll see where we land at the end. But I actually I honestly think this is the best heist film I've ever seen. Not as like a coming into it as soon as I saw robbery, like okay, we're doing a robbery, and I knew kind of the premise. These guys are all gonna die, and their widows are gonna have to do like one last job, that kind of deal, right? We know the setup. I I consciously before I started watching it discarded all of Steve McQueen's other flicks because okay. if you look at him it's shame it's a movie it's a it's an intense portrait of a sex addict you look at Hunger it's an intense deep dive embroiling political commentary on basically like an IRA member and his horrifically tragic death and his place in society can't I can't have that in my head while I'm watching a heist flick Twelve Years a sure. Slave there may be no movie more loaded or fraught with weight like talk about like a heavy film then yeah. 12 years a slave i can't have those movies sitting in my, my it makes it for a, it's a tough watch right yeah it's like, maybe that's part of where i was struggling it's the wrong was i'm like ooh, steve mcqueen right why is he making a heist movie so so my can, my big <laughs> my big takeout my big takeaway from this was you know how artists make a specific type of they'll make a specific type of art, right? And then they yeah. David Bowie puts out his like rock albums and then all of a sudden he puts out uh like an, uh, an electronica album. And everyone in the world goes like, "Hey, no, you got to sing you have to sing weird rock and roll music. No, 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 back in your box." That's what this feels like. This feels like Steve McQueen made three emotionally draining and he exhausting wants, And films. now he wants to make a heist movie and I get it. And when I said it, I'm like, "No, he's an artist, man. If he wants to make a docudrama about yeah. Bon Jovi next. Like, <laughs> hey, man, Jim sweet. Jarmusch made one about the Stooges. You know, he made a Stooges right. documentary. When I saw this, part of me, I still think that he brings the heavy. Some of that Steve McQueen thing that he sure. brings in his these other more, um, like, let's say, I don't know what the word is, uh, topically conscious films. He still brings mm -hmm. a lot of that in here because definitely some of this is about an underserved population taking back something from of a a an upper class that or a, a quote-unquote ruling class that's been just brutalizing them and living off of them and exploiting them there's a great line in here um where a small business owner is saying like all i want oh yeah here it is it's the salon when we find out that the salon is actually owned by colin farrell and right. uh she says uh he empowered me and the girl's like empowered you to do what what are you talking about and she says all i wanted was to all I wanted was to have a business of my own. This way, I'm allowed to think I have one. Like, oh, that's dude, rough. Yeah, that line is like pretty intense, and it pops up. I'm allowed up. to think I have one. I'm allowed to think I have one. And her, the driver's response. By the way, I don't know any of these characters' names, basically. Um, so I'll just, I'll just do my best. But the, the driver, the babysitter driver that they pick up is like, that. Did you just hear what you said? That doesn't sound weird to you. So moments like that, in the midst of all this heist stuff. Um, 
it it grounded it for me you know like a lot of heist movies you just turn your brain off they're gonna steal some gems you don't you just immediately side with the with the the thieves you're like okay that's my crew and these are just security guards so if we kill some of those guys that's expected because it's a heist they actually they do kill people while they're pulling off this heist and god damn do you feel it you know you're like oh shit and you see them feel it too you see them deal with it um so I I liked the the realism. This to me felt like what Chris Nolan did for Batman, Steve McQueen did mm-hmm. for the heist movie. He took a goofy car, a, a becoming self-parodying genre and he regrounded it. Um I mean, there just just to talk about just the heist elements, the voice changers is such a brilliant bit of sound choice, sound design. So you don't have them putting on voices. You just have the horror right. of like faceless people that sound like like robot hellspawn. You know, I thought those voices and the and the great. way that and the way they discovered that that's something they should do is just the uh, the one her daughter was playing with the voice changer, and she, you see that one little moment. Yeah, of, mm, that's the thing, and the, they they don't discuss it. You don't see it. You know, hear about it until the heist, and they're like, "Oh fuck, they're using the kid's voice yeah, changer." Yeah, to, to crib, that's cool. To crib from Liam Neeson in a different movie. God, I love it when a plan comes together. You know? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love watching the pieces fall into place. But let's go right back to the beginning. Um, and some of some of the notes I want to talk about are this from a filmmaking perspective. I think I think we both agree that just on ter- in terms of construction, cinematography, this is really well executed. Content, I think we Absolutely. can disagree on, but this is a hell of a movie. Just from like a ha- put together a movie type of perspective, yeah, okay. I love that. We yep, s- I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's no taking this. You can't cin- cinematography, the score, the cast. Like, yeah, the I mean, score it's just is so good. Um, you I, don't get. I mean, you just don't get much better than this as far as filmmaking is concerned. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things, not just not just the score, but the sound design. We start with um. I thought it was cool, kind of a nod to a nod back to shame, but we start with an overhead shot of a bed as the sun comes up in like a gray room, which is how shame opens. You know, we get so, people running a lot too, which is cool. There's a lot of yeah, you know, it's it's fun to see like some Steve McQueen standbys pop up, and you're like, ah, there's the there it is, there's yep. the uh, there's the bed, there's the overhead. She's bed. catching a bus. She's running. <laughs> she's running. She's running. Holy shit, that chick is shredded. By the way. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever just sit on the couch and watch watch like you know really beautiful Hollywood people do like really physically taxing stuff and you're like, yeah, I let myself down somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can blame COVID for the extra twenty pounds, but I really kind of let myself go. And I'm going to continue to blame COVID. <laughs> <laughs> as long as that's still on the table, baby, I'm gonna use that as an excuse. That's still an it. option. Can I still uh, foist all my? Yeah, I haven't yep. written in a while, but you know, COVID. Um... <laughs> I haven't put on pants in a couple days, and I, <laughs> I am just kind of pissing wherever when I when I feel the <laughs> urge. Kinda... But you know, COVID. So, <laughs> all right. I don't um, stoop to poop anymore. <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> what did you think of the? Um... What do you think of the the opening montage between these where we we're intercutting back and forth between a failed robbery and the last the the morning of the, the robbery last moments yeah yeah when like so Liam I Neeson like that I mean I'm ramped up for 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 enjoying this flick from this whole this whole scene the setting up we set up who the original heisters are the original the crew the OG gangsters yeah, right yeah the first crew yeah. and their last their last moments with their wives and going into this I think most people understand that the 
the general theme of this flick, you know, based on the title Widows. alone. Widows. Like, yeah. something bad going to happen to these guys. All the even husbands. If you don't, yeah, even if you don't know that it's a heist movie, you understand that, oh, they're probably not going to see these gentlemen anymore. So it's really fucking incredible how they have stitched those two together. Right. And you know that this is just going to shit, right? And I love that there's such a difference between each of their experiences with their like Liam Neeson and his wife, uh, our lead character, are super loving with each other, and there's passion, and it's this, like the honeymoon is still very much there. Between you Viola Davis other... and Liam Neeson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay, go they're... on. I read that a little differently, but keep going, and we can come, we'll circle back. Yeah, and then you have the other couple who is the Punisher couple, which is uh, he's probably beating her. You mean he is? He, is. he definitely is doing that. <laughs> Um, oh, what happened to the, the, the white chick? What's what's her story? Doesn't she just have like a boyfriend or something? Uh, the the blonde. Yeah, the doofy one, yeah. the one that's not very smart. She, I thought she, no, 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 she is married to John Barenthal. She's the she's, one that okay, yep, yeah, yeah. She's, she's been being abused. Boyfriend. That's why later when Viola Davis slaps her in the face, that's she right. slaps her back. That's she's a, like, "No, a... I'm not someone who gets no more. hit anymore." Yeah, yeah it's. Which... I like her arc. It's actually pretty fucking great. Oh yeah, because she come. Yeah, we'll talk about it, but, um, but yeah, it's and then you have um. I love the because we cut to um. It's been like two weeks now. Michelle Rodriguez has like the kids yep. screaming in the house, but I love that. The the actual heist, John Barenthal's been shot. The doors are coming off the back. Dude, watching watching that getaway, that is so well shot. Shooting that getaway from inside the car, the choreography of the cop cars behind it, they're chucking stuff yeah. out. I love a botched getaway. I think who doesn't love a botched getaway? It's so right. The stakes are so high. So watching this one is about as botched as you get. Oh yeah, this got real fucked. fucked up, real. <laughs> but um. So, well, I guess that band's gone. <laughs> I love hearing Sorry. the I think it's the door of the van gets ripped off. There's like you hear shearing metal and the sound design fades the shearing metal into screaming children. Like that happens all through this movie. You'll hear like a knock at a door and then like the knocking door will turn into gunshots or vice uh, yeah, versa. Yeah, I've got I've got several notes on on those like oh, clever. Oh yeah, those using one like oh yeah, like tying it, tying one piece to another is just incredible. Like it in a when you do it visually, it's called a match cut. When you do it with your audio in a way that reinforces the image that you're showing on screen, it's just master strokes. It's I, called amazing. Yeah, it's the oh goddamn the sound design is really good. Um, I love when they so so we we basically find out that they get cornered by the cops. As they think they're getting, you know, we're oh, we're about, well, we're all about to escape. The van explodes in the biggest fucking way possible. I like that they address how big the van blows up too, because you're watching it and you're like, no, nah, that's that's kind of too big for an explosion. Come on, Steve McQueen, you know better. Your your movies are so realistic. <laughs> right. But then Liam Neeson, when he's talking to Colin Farrell on the boat later, he's like, your boys went a little overboard with the with the accelerants, and you're like, Oh, so he gets to have oh. his cake and eat it too. He shows us a big fun explosion, yep. and then Liam Neeson bitches about it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> then your action hero says, "I think that you used too much nitro on that." I'm getting too old for this shit, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he kind of is. I mean, I I liked. I I had that thought too, like watching him 
I, I, I kind of dig it. It's like he's becoming like the Sean Connery now in like Entrapment. You buy it because he's Liam Neeson. And also, you buy Entrapment because it's Sean Connery. Like, and he's and he's doing works. that thing where he's like, he knows he's a little older, so he's being a little bit older. You know, he's kind of playing it that way. Um, yep. I, it's like it reminds me of like the later Clint Eastwood movies where he's still tough as nails, but his body's kind of be- beating him a little bit. Yeah. You know, so I. I think I think Liam Neeson still works as an action hero. Um, oh, I'll watch him in Taken Seventeen yeah. <laughs> and like eighty years old. Like motherfuckers, I have a Oosh. particular set of skills. I don't you took re- my nutrients. I don't remember what they are, but I know they're in here. I've, I've never actually Sudoku. <laughs> I do my crosswords in pen. I've actually never seen any of the Taken movies. I hear they're really good though. Oh, the first one's all right. <laughs> yeah, perfect. That's the perfect mode to have you in right now. Um, what did you think? Okay, so let's talk about one of the aspects that you liked, which is the the race for aldermen of the what is it the nineteenth sixteenth ward nineteenth ward? Oh, I have it written down somewhere in yeah. my notes. It's been a minute since I wrote these down. So basically, it's it's a, a race between Colin Farrell and I can't remember the other actor. I think it's uh, Brian Tyree Henry plays the other the other guy. Um. He's the he's the main character in Us, the new jo- uh, Jordan Peele movie. I can't remember the yeah. actor's name, but it's Colin Farrell and this other guy are running for aldermen against each other of this. It's war- the 18th district. The 18th district, yeah, which is like this kind of destroyed slum in Chicago. Yep. And the the we find out that these two guys are. They're like running against each other, and Colin Farrell is. Lo- They're kind of in bed together too. There's definitely like, like backdoor dealings going on, um, yeah. but I don't think they're in bed, re- genuinely in bed together until pretty much the end of the movie. Right. Because uh, yeah, I th- maybe they start they start off in the same cabinet camp, and by the end they're like in the same bed. Yeah, it's and it's kind of gross how they interact with each other, where they never yeah. actually do anything to each other, but all these people around them suffer. Which they is, go through the citizenship to hurt each other. Which is it's fucking crazy. And it's yeah, and it's also kind of like a metaphor for, you know, precisely what feels this is. a little real. Maybe that's one of the reasons why not necessarily didn't enjoy this movie, but it's like watching it through the filter of 2020. I'm like, oh man, this is some shit. Yeah, watching <laughs> watching politicians uh, puppet string people around to their death. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of, kinda... I mean, clearly there's a lot of race issues in this flick. Oh yeah, a lot of race issues in the real world. Like um, we picked them for, we picked these ones for a reason. So oh no, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but I just find it really interesting the the differences and the similarities on 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 both sides of the political uh, race. Well, right, one you have a gangster who's got millions of dollars that he's like. He's seedy as shit. Yeah. And then you have the other one who's a gangster. <laughs> well, and it's like they're both, but just from di- different ways of being. I, I really like how important the background is for uh, for both of them. Like the, the locations they're shot in. Yeah. Um, so like, I'm just going to say uh, uh, candidate Henry is going to be the not Colin Farrell guy. So when gotcha. we when we see Colin Farrell's house, it is dark. 
It is huge, overgrown with ivy. It's like this beautiful. It's like a, a Chicago Less than a five mansion. minute drive from the slums too, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that one shot drive is incredible because it shows you in real time the actual distance between wealth and utter crushing poverty in this neighborhood. But I yeah. think it's important that we see that Colin Farrell's family they have been in politics in Chicago forever. Robert Duvall's talking about like my father, blah blah blah. They're they're a dynasty family. These are the Clintons. Yeah. These are. You know, these are the Bushes. This is that's what who these people are, and I like that their political campaigns. His political campaign is in his mansion. He's running. His power originates in his wealth in his yep. in his mansion. He, uh, candidate Henry is set up in a church basement, and his power is coming from. Even though he is crooked as fuck, this candidate's power is rooted in his in church in his local community spaces in and it i think that really shows the difference between these two men and i think mcqueen is pointing out that yes to play this political game you're dirty you're just dirty you know like Mm -hmm. both of these dudes are like horrible criminals but what are they both fighting for they're both fighting over the influence of this one pastor Right, this kind of like revival style preacher. Yes, he's got the ears of the 18th, of that whole community of the 18th district, right? Yeah, and there's something kind of uh, wolf in sheep's clothing, or kind of ominous, or kind of especially sketchy about how candidate Henry is has insinuated himself in and made his base of operations the, the church to kind of court mm-hmm. that to disingenuously court that. That feeling, that community feeling, and that emotion among those people, when not neither of these people are probably going to serve this community well at all. I thought while that was... his, while at the same time his um, henchmen are assassinating people in churches. Yeah, yeah, they're ki- oh my god, like that that scene in like the rec hall, you know, where where kids yep. come to do pancake dinners and play basketball. Yep. It's it really. It's a scummy world we're seeing, but it has a lot of metaphoric weight to it. But you don't have to pay attention to any of that if you don't want. You just need to know this guy's bad, this guy's right. bad. Absolutely, um, sure. Colin Farrell took I, – I love I love the intricacies of this because Colin Farrell hired Liam Neeson to steal candidate Henry's money to take the fangs out of his, candidate, out of his campaign. Now, candidate Henry knows who took his money and is pressuring Viola Davis to get him his money back. So her solution is to steal it. From Colin Farrell. Back it's, again. Oh my god. Yeah. It's like, this is such a uh, a quote-unquote heist setup where it can never just be like, we're going to rob a bank, here's how we're going to do it. It's like... Right. There's some jewels right. in, the, <laughs> in the jewelry store on, 8th and on 14th Street. Yeah, it's like, well, that's so strange because the 14th Street jewelry also used to be my grandfather's bakery and my grandfather <laughs> once baked some jewels into a mythical loaf of bread. There's always like some weird extra twist. Yep. <laughs> I think this movie this movie is about two people in power robbing each other back and forth at the expense of the community, which I think yeah, is a, is a metaphor that just stands on its own. And then what we see is people who've been victimized by politicians in power just taking the mon- that taking this like there's like a badminton of of money going back and forth over a net and you watch what happens. When a group of victimized community members reach up and pull the ball out of the air, 
Like, game's over, motherfuckers. Yeah. We're taking it back. Oh, God, I just I loved it so much. Um, There's a great line at the beginning when Candidate Henry is talking to Daniel Coolia's character, the, the hitman guy, and he's like, He's like, man, why are you even doing this? You know, because because uh, Henry's involved in like, uh, like he's like he's ba- you're right, he's a gangster. You know, he's got crime interests, he's got armed hoodlums. They're you know, he's got income. His main his main dude is under a no kill order. Oh for yeah, the next few weeks okay. until the until the election's over. Like, yeah, like he's he's got some dirty power. So the so Coolio's like, why? You're why? lucky I'm under a no kill order right now. I'm right, just stab Dude, you a bunch. That is one of the grossest <laughs> scenes I've ever seen. It's your skin crawls watching that. Yeah. But I love his line. He's like, why do you want to go be like Colin Farrell? Like, I don't understand. You got your own shit going, dude. You're fine. And he goes, when they come after Colin Farrell, I'm just gonna call him Colin Farrell. When That's they, fine. When they come after Colin Farrell, they come after him with microphones and cameras. They're coming after us with guns. I'm 37 years old. I don't want that life no more. That's what he says. That's his justification. So you you get this you get this feeling like I will do anything I have to to escape the the realities of my situation because they don't just come after me and drag me into court and sully my good name. They shoot me dead in the street. You know? Yeah. Like you want to talk about movies where we we were talking uh uh when we were talking about Pariah and uh, you weren't on this one, but Watermelon Woman, just movies where it seems like every movie that Bird and I watched and that you and I have watched, there's always a, a white, usually white cops. In in Watermelon Woman, one of them's black, but cops show up and just needlessly harass or hassle black people. And that has shown up in every one of these movies, even when it's not central to the plot, which it is in Widows, but like mm-hmm. in uh, in Watermelon Woman... The scene is totally throwaway. She's just like trying to get into her studio and two cops walk up and they're like, what are you doing here? Whose bag is this? Well, you got to get out of here. Are you trying to break in? And she's like, no, this is my studio. It's just locked. And then they cut away and never talk about it again. And Bird and I were saying that it's interesting that that is such a part of just black life in America, that it's become just another one of the threads that is that becomes part of the tapestry of of their that narrative, their narrative. In our country, it's just like, oh, yeah, well, uh, if we're going to try and make a movie about, like, what it's like to be black in America, we got to have at least one scene where two cops or a cop comes and just hassles you for literally no reason, and then you've got to deal with, like, That's oh, part sh-. of life. Yeah, it's it's literally just something that happened. Like, oh, my God, when Liam Neeson's and Viola Davis's son gets pulled over late in the movie. By the way, Widows yeah. is all about twists and surprises, so if you haven't seen it yet... Stop listening because there's a lot of like jumping around in time that will spoil the movie for you. So you don't even realize that they had us. Hold on, say it again. Murdered it until halfway through, and then you just your audio cut out on my side. Say it again. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. I said so. You don't even realize that they had a son until about halfway through the movie, and then you realize that he's not around anymore, and then it's like almost. Act three, when you realize what happened to him, you're like, "What the fuck, man!" Yeah, it's it. it you're like they slate ease you into like. How do you know he had <laughs> he had a kid? The, I well, thought, and then when they first said he had a kid, I thought maybe he's like a baby, like five. That, how'd he die? That's what I thought. Like, oh, they lost. They must have lost like a child. He walked oh, out into the sad. street. Oh, but no, like a 
20 year old yeah man like 20 something guy driving his taking care of his life driving his borrowed his dad's car and he's driving and we liam neeson gets him on the horn he's like you got to get back i got an anniversary present in the glove box for your mom so he whips a u-turn and a cop pulls him over out of nowhere just like whoop whoop and you can even see it like the the kid is like ah dad i gotta go look i gotta go i'm bringing the car home yeah, there's a cop coming. Um, I I got to deal with this, and he hangs up the phone. And no, it, he, Liam Neeson's on the phone. He's oh, like is he still on there? Screaming at him. Yeah, he's like, you do what they say. You don't like. He's like yelling at him, and he hears it all happen. Oh yeah, because he he reaches. He's got the phone to his ear when he reaches for the glove box to put the exactly. present back in the glove box, and he the cop says, "Keep your hands where I can see him." And he goes, "Oh shit! Like, let me get this put away real quick." So he reaches for the present, and the cop just unloads and shoots yep. him dead. Routine traffic stop, no reason to kill him at all. And I think, I think the words, him, and the gunshots. There's not even any space between the warning and the and the shots being fired. He's pulling it's the fucking. He's drawing his that's... gun in the moment of saying like, "Let me sh- uh, show, like, show me your hands." Blam, 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 blam. Game over. Like in the span yep. of a heartbeat. And you know what's fucked? Is when that happens. Everything about probably that. pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah, you know? that was something. Well, yeah, it's not like glorified or, or you know what I mean. Like they're, yeah. No, yeah, that I, dude, I'm, I'm 100 percent with you. I was, that was something that I. Well, as soon as you see the cop car ahead of him, yeah, before he's even pulled over, I'm like, this kid is dead. Yeah, you immediately he's a get, dead kid. get the butterflies. You're like, oh shit, there's a cop. Like. You know, like that that's something that watching these movies again and again, now when you're watching these movies, you know, you know like watching watching the ones we've watched, we you and I both have get out spun already. Um and we're both we've got Fruitvale Station on deck for next week, but like there is a yeah. certain number of these if you watch them in a row, every time you see a cop, you're like, Oh shit, 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 someone's going to jail, someone's gonna get beaten, someone's yeah. gonna get shot to death. And then as you're taking notes, you realize like that's part of why these protests are going on right now is there's a whole there's a whole group of people in this country that feel that way in real every life day. every day yeah i'm gonna go shop on the street to go shopping and that's a thought in your, your head i don't have that thought in my head right yeah like that's fucking insane that yeah <laughs> it's yep it's uh it's an intense moment in the movie and it, I think the the like add all the emotional weight that's added, I think really adds a lot to the heist elements because it doesn't just read like a heist. It's like now we know that Viola Davis, had, her son was murdered by cops, yep. and it almost destroyed her relationship with Liam Neeson, and then Liam Neeson was killed by cops, um, which interestingly reads totally differently because he's actually out there committing a crime. And then we find out right. that he's not even murdered by cops. Nope. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. he just double crossed. So the actual criminal it w- gets yeah. away with it, and the totally innocent bystander is the only innocent person maybe in this whole movie is the is the person who's killed by cops. Yeah. All of the it crooks the go who had, free. Who had nothing to do with anything? I mean, you can see Viola Davis doesn't have anything to do with. She's she's consciously unaware of what her husband does i think she just she, chooses not to i mean i think like, she knows because she, she knows she knows but she's not you know it's like plausible denial. it's like she's 
pretty sure that her husband's a thief, but she's not going to like say anything about you it. Know, yeah. say, say anything about it or have any sort of confirming evidence to back that up because um because she's but, got a really nice life but, and she wants to keep yeah, it that I think way. Yeah, I think you're right. The only Right, absolutely. And who wouldn't? So, I mean, I guess people that don't want to be involved in crime. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Uh, hey, so it turns out I'm actually... fighting citizens, baby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, there's definitely a certain person who'd be like, oh, I didn't know. Actually, I'm out. Um, We're going to get a divorce. It's cool. I won't yeah. rat you oh. out, but like, I'm not going to be married to you because you're like a like, really bad person. Like if, I discovered that, <laughs> like if I discovered that Danielle was like a super criminal or something, I'd yeah. be like, I think I might have to back out of this relationship. Yeah, she doesn't actually work cause... at a bank. She's a contract killer. You're no. like, ah. She's like laundering money for drug dealers and <laughs> shit and doing hits on the side. She's no, like, actually, I'd probably marry her again. You'd be like, I can... <laughs> She's like, Carl... I just fell in love with you all over Carl, again. You're I laundering can... money for drug dealers and doing hits on the side? I can buy us the life we've always wanted, you know? It's just it's just her with like freshly laundered suitcases of $100 bills, non-sequential. She's got a bullet in her arm. She's like, I can, we can start over, but we have to go now." You're like, "You got to go now. Got to yeah. go now. Leave the board games. We don't have time for that." You're like, "No. Too big. No Gloomhaven's coming with us. There's no time." You're like, "This is the line. If I can't take Gloomhaven, just go without me." I you could buy you can buy the game company. <laughs> anyway. Oh, what are we talking about? Oh, right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, living, um, living, living. We're talking about life. Yeah. And how different it is for... For everybody. Um, for people. Uh, yeah. Um, different life experiences. What did you think... Oh, did you notice? Just a, yep. a little thing quick. When uh, Viola Davis is trying to sell... Um, her husband's notebook, Liam Neeson's notebook to... Or Harry's his name. Um, when she's trying to sell Harry's notebook at the fireside bar, uh, a whiter shade of pale is playing in the background, the opening song to Withnail and I, and it's that version too. You know, it's the saxophone you know, version. That. Anytime, anytime that, anytime that song pops up anywhere, I'm like, I should be watching Withnail and I. But um, I do love any heist movie or crime movie that has a good old handwritten journal in a lockbox somewhere to discover. That yeah, I mean, I do like that trope quite a lot, dude. There's a, a there's... dusty old journal. That, yeah. <laughs> there's some really good. It hits. It hits a lot of the tropes, man. It really does. I mean, I mean, my my favorite one probably is watching a getaway driver sitting sweating bullets, um, and trying to be cool. Watching while... the rear view. Oh, dude, come on! Like that that getaway driver just chilling is so good. I come on. There's there's something about. The only thing that would have made that better for me is if she had been just smoking cigarette after cigarette. I was going to say, like, a pile of smokes outside yeah, the window. <laughs> I get it. It's 2020, and they're professionals. They can't have, because that's, you know, how many times has that been the thing that gives the getaway driver away in a movie is the 26 cigarettes. There's, there's... <laughs> your 26 butts of Paul Mall with your DNA on them. Case and right a half of Newports just sitting outside the door of the car that's parked on the street, and they're like, hey, are you nervous? <laughs> Oh, I notice it all. I Why just... you ask? <laughs> um, yeah, you're you're right. There's a lot of there's a lot of heist tropes that really come together in this. Um, but before we get to there, let's stick with the uh, let's stick with this election thing for a second, because sure, they they do top load a lot of election stuff, and the heist really gets rolling when uh, 
um, when the blonde is sent to go get guns. That's kind of when things like pick up in high school. That's World. like the beginning of the Oceans Three, right? Or Oceans Four? Yeah. Is her going to buy the guns at the gun show? Her, her, um, her having some agency, right? And discovering how she can be effective, yeah. which is awesome. Mm-hmm. They all sort of have that moment, which is really cool. Where like we aren't criminals. How do you do a criminal? But each of them finds their thing that they can be good at. Yeah, they dig. They dig deep, and um, I don't want to. I don't want to jump ahead, but I love. No, sorry, but no, no, it's okay. Stuff. I I love the way that the 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 female crew of of heisters changes their approach to robbery because they're women. Like mm-hmm. I thought that was a really you see early on. You see Viola Davis running the show like a man would. You know, like the the way they interact with each other is very traditional. We've what I, we've seen these tropes before, these stereotypes. We've got the gruff, cold, calculating leader. We've got the like weapons expert who's like off the cuff and kind of jokey. And we've got the like jittery driver who's he's but it's okay, my nerves are good. Just I gotta stay away from the bottle. Like when when I say a heist crew, you get ideas in your head. And early in the movie, they all fall into those roles. They all assume, they all assume the position of one of these stereotypical heist crew roles right off the bat. I'm the wild card. Yeah, yeah. And like you see it most with Viola Davis, where she's like, I'm cold and calculating, and I'm here to run a job, and I don't brook no shit from no one. Like that is the traditional leader's mentality. And I love I love what that says about the movie where they they do they all lack agency at the beginning of this because they're just aping what they think that they should do because they've seen they've seen heist movies too exactly and that's what they're doing and they're running it like their husbands would and it's not going well it's an un I mean look they're doing crimes so it's all kind of unhealthy but like it's an it's not a it's not a way that works for them and I love watching them rediscover what their actual roles in this are how they will approach this the, the moment that sticks out in my head is when Viola Davis slaps the blonde woman and then the blonde woman slaps her back and she's like no I don't get hit anymore that's we're done with that I'm done with this and Viola Davis says that they she points she's like the reason you know like they they killed they killed Garrett Dillahunt. They killed the driver. That I, what's his name? He has a really cool name. It's like Rocket or Richie. Yeah, oh, sh- Richie Rocket McGillicuddy or Gun Bolero or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gun Bunny. Damn it! What's his real name? He has such a he. He has like a really in- weird name. I think it's like Rusty. I do or feel something. like that. I wrote it down because I was. Yeah, not I'm, Tinder. What I'm, the? F- why do I have a t- Tinder written down? That's a good question. Um, but yeah, uh, there, there's definitely he definitely has like a cool name. I'm gonna call him Rusty. So anyway, she's like Rusty, Rusty. They killed Rusty, and then you see her. Rusty st- kicked the bucket. Yeah, they're like we buried him under where the red fern grows. But um, like, <laughs> um, she starts to she starts to like break down and cry, and the blonde woman holds her and they like console each other not only because this close friend of viola davis's was murdered by criminals for this because of this weird heist situation that's going on but also because like we don't 
have to not be in touch with our feelings as well. We can actually emotionally support each other, and that might be a healthier way to deal with an extremely high-stress situation. We owe criminals like multiple millions of dollars, and we're trying to pull a heist on a major political candidate right now. Like maybe, <laughs> right. what, yeah, maybe what we don't need to be doing is like get Just your shit together. Each other. Yeah, don't be right. fucking stupid. Like that's probably not the best way to manage this team. And I, I Once like they get to their like tenth or eleventh job. They've got their feet under them. Then you can have a little bit more of that. Hey, I'm gonna bust your balls. First job out, you might want to have a little more TLC as well. Well, what I'm, I get it. What I'm arguing is that there's never a job. Oh, you are kidding. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was a joke. Yeah, but I, I, but I just I think it's interesting that that McQueen lets them be empathic, real humans. He he plays them as cardboard cutouts, and you watch them yep. uncomfortable in those roles. And then he he starts doing that. He starts doing the character study that he does so well. You know what I mean? I, I just love that. Um, getting to watch getting to watch Michelle Rodriguez want to like that the fact that she's thinking about her kids and not just the money, where she's like. If this yep. goes all wrong, I just want my kids to know that I stood up and did something. You know, like yeah, it's it's cool. It's really cool. Um, what did you think it's of? More, it's less about a heist and more about taking it back, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like the the money becomes just a metaphor, you know, for everything yep. that's been stolen from from uh, air quotes us. You know, like um, I'm speaking particularly as like a, a person who's always been poor. You know, um, but like the, there are other metaphors here, you know, like widows, it's all women taking back. There's the only people they're robbing are men. They're stealing back from this, um, from this like male driven, oppressive political system. So they're taking that back. And then we also have several different minorities represented in the cast here and in the heisting, the, like the, the crew of thieves. And they they are also uh, uh, this they're actually a melting pot these these yeah. women of widows. Sorry about that, listener. Uh, we were working out the Skype bugs, and uh, also, you know, uh, was it you were saying you did a diagnostic in your computer? It was coronavirus. <laughs> It's coronavirus. It's super infected with COVID nineteen. Damn, dude, man. and that's that is a big drain on the CPU. I remember it reading is. that on. All right, um, so let's talk about. Can we talk about? Can we talk about a um, kind of a like a weird, beautiful moment of cinematography that is is just like a little like throwaway bit in the middle of this heist film. Not throwaway. Yeah. It's it's. You're talking about use of mirrors. No, that's a whole that's a whole other thing. I'm talking about um, the scene where Colin Farrell goes up to like break ground on that new construction site in the 18th district, and he like he goes up to give a speech like my family has been in Chicago for like a really long time, and you know us, we've been wor- we've been empowering local businesses and blah blah blah, which we Let's find bring them up here. Yeah, dude. All of them, yeah. It's kind of a it's a really gross moment it's where gross. he's like, he's like, all right, then look, <laughs> here are our success stories. And there's something about having watched Twelve Years a Slave and having just watched Get Out, which has a literal slave auction in it. It felt a little bit like that though, didn't yes, it? Yes, dude. There's something haunting about a white man holding his arm out and saying bring him on up and watching a line of of black people and they 
they seem to be like putting on the, uh, the all, awkward yeah, smiley. They, I don't want to be standing up here. Fuck you, dude. Like, yeah, it's it's a really creepy moment, and I love. Okay, the decision on Sean Bobbitt and McQueen's part. <laughs> it's that's the new law firm, by the way, Sean Bobbitt and McQueen. Bobbitt um, McQueen. But uh, we the, work for you. <laughs> oh my God, do they ever, man? Everything they do works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Bobbitt's choice to shoot POV from the crowd. It's really creepy. It's 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 creepy and it's cool because we're about to use the media. We're about to use a journalist to twist what my brain is doing with this POV. Without changing shots, they change the perspective, if that makes sense. Which, dude, yep. my brain was doing flips in my head. It's Maybe it's because I just watched... We just watched two movies by Masters. You know, like, undeniably. Oh, Jordan Peele and Steve McQueen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like the the level you want to talk four D chess. So we're in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, they're on the holodeck playing this shit. Oh yeah, we're <laughs> on expert. So <laughs> we're in the crowd watching this this line of I I'm not I I watched it like last week. I think I don't think it's all black women. Holy I think it's, shit! Sorry, the senator. The it's Jamal Manning is the other Jamal Manning. Okay, Manning and Mulligan are the two candidates. Right, right. Manning and Mulligan. Sorry. No, th- dude, thank you for having names so I don't have to keep being like Colin Farrell and the guy from Us, <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> um, but no, so you're in the crowd and you watch this this line of, of like local community members who are all minorities walk up on stage and you're like, oh shit, this is that straw dogs thing. I'm in the crowd at a slave auction. That's yeah. that's what the person, especially with all the racial overtones that the, the movie's heaping on, that's how you feel. You're in those eyeballs and you're like... God, I feel so gross. Yep. And then the journalist, who is our actual, he is our POV. He's like standing right next to us. And the journalist starts asking him about um, allegations of corruption. You know, he's like, "Hey, you know, hey, you're you're under legal proceedings. You're being audited. It looks like you may have embezzled huge sums of money. Yeah, your family has a long history of political corruption. What do you? Re- how do you respond to that?" Colin Farrell completely ignores him, and I just love that. I love what this does by giving voice to the crowd and having the crowd critiquing and and taking to task that person on the podium, the person in power, changes the perspective and suddenly you're part of a you're part of like a mob. You're part of an angry mob. You're part yeah. of a downtrodden class looking up at this ostensible ruler and taking him to task. We haven't even changed shots, but suddenly we're on we're no longer in the like gross i feel horrible this is god because somebody in the crowd with us spoke up saying something yeah Yeah. isn't that a lesson that's all dude that's all it takes to change the the emotion of that moment is someone needed to say something and when they do you're like yeah yeah fuck you colin farrell fuck you mulligan and suddenly the whole vibe changes it's cool, man. It's a cool little bit of filmmaking. Yeah. I'm a huge and fan I, of that I moment. love how that goes right into the scene in the car. Yes! Where we don't even get in the car. We're on the <laughs> front corner, front panel of the... We're not even in a... It, the camera is, like, parked on the hood of the car, and we're looking in. We're on, like, the very front passenger side <laughs> corner, Fucking... looking awkwardly down towards the driver's side. Yeah. It's such a weird shot, but yeah. I fucking love it because we're hearing it's him just berate his assistant. Such a good mon- – like, their dialogue while we're watching them drive, oh, it's so good. 
It's yep. so that whole sequence is incredible. One of my favorite things about that shot. Did we realize that they are less than and they're less than five minutes from where they were. Like they're oh my god, such an incredible. Oh yeah, he's he's breaking series of series of scenes and vignettes just to like starting with the you know we broke ground here that we're in the crowd. The journalist speaks up. We're in the car, but not in the car. Right. They're yelling and berating each other. And then they get out of the car, and they're at their campaign headquarters in this beautiful ivy-covered mansion. Right. And it we get to see the whole drive. And one of my favorite things about that drive is the way that the camera is angled, we get to um, – we get to see the neighborhood. I, I, you know, like if we were in the car, we'd be looking at these two beautiful faces as these beautiful it people talking to each other. And it would other. be scenery in the background passing. Yeah, but because we're outside the car, all we have to look at is like, hey, look at this neighborhood. Look how bad this is. It's a laundromat, a coin operated something or other. Yeah, then like a, traffic a dirt light. lot. Yeah. And then it starts to slowly but surely develop into this. It turns Ivy into covered neighborhood. Yeah, it's brownstones. It, it turns into yeah. like this beautiful line of brownstones, and you're this like is five not, traffic lights. Yeah, it's it's it sh- and the, what they're talking about is only like tangentially related to what we're seeing. I, it's really interesting. Mulligan asks his assistant, "Have you ever slept with a black guy?" And she's like, "Really? This is what you want to do right now? You want to like you, you just got served by the by the the journalist public, and you yep. want to know if." You know, Jamal's like the black guy. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they they have this like discussion and he's he talks about how like, oh, I didn't I don't even want to be a politician. I just want to get out of this shitty neighborhood and get out of all this crap and blah, blah, blah. And she, I think it's interesting that she's the one who keeps him on track. She's like, you're not going to win an election with this kind of, you know, like any we need mm-hmm. you to man up and, you know, quit being. I think she says, like, stop being such a pussy or something like I that. I think she does pretty damn close to it anyway. Um, So we cut from from this this awesome drive where we see like the line between power and poverty is like three minutes and a couple million dollars it reminded know? me of living in baltimore man you, if block to block is a just different different worlds man it's insane yeah how close but I, we all just i don't know man. i was it's really such su- a weird i was surprised by that even in a town as small as like marquette in the upper right. peninsula um, you can walk around downtown and salt not well recently it's kind of been slowing down a little but like when I was there in like 2015 2016 um, it was like beautiful downtown area the landmark hotels like this shining old architecture on the hill there's all along the lakeshore and the and the the coast there's these mansions there's million dollar houses with like towers and turrets but if you as you get a little further inland, away from the downtown business district, away from all the shops, away from the visitor welcome center and the university, and you hit, like, streets like Longyear Avenue, that's slums. It's just it's like, like St. Joe and Benton Harbor, man. You got one bridge. That's the, the difference. That's the line. Yeah. It's, it's wild, man. Man, it's seeing, seeing gentrification. Like, what an interesting world to set thievery in. In a in mm-hmm. a city where just everyone is steal like okay our our team of thieves they're not the they're not the only people stealing in this movie everyone right. everyone in this is is a thief you know and it's weird man it 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 forces you to look at a heist from a different perspective you're like okay well they're doing it with a van and some guns mm-hmm. this guy's doing it with a pen and gerrymandering right you know like. Holy shit! What a fucking smart, 
what a smart way to tell to still do the Steve McQueen thing where you sure. get, you get the sense he's like, all right, I'm just gonna do a fun heist movie. I'm taking a break. I can't have any more of this heavy shit. All right, so let's set it during oh, like fuck. uh let's set it during like uh, it's a re-election year. It's a re-election year in the 18th district in Chicago, and what we've got here is a bunch of small business owners. We got an Irish guy. Yeah, do you ever fuck. feel like Sean Bobbitt's like, hey Steve, I thought you said uh thought you said this was gonna be like like a fun. It's a fun heist movie, though, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There won't even be anything in here. All right, so. Yes, Colin. For- I said Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Yeah, he's like, where are we going for lighthearted? He's like, Colin Farrell's going to play. Or Robert Duvall. We're going to get Robert Duvall to play a vicious racist. And he's like, son of a bitch. I got to say this. With Robert Duvall, he, his character is so scathingly racist that I feel at times in the delivery that Robert Duvall He's an incredible actor, right? Let's just have that out. You can almost sense his uncomfortable. He's not comfortable with playing this character. Oh yeah, it's in there. So if there's this weird like, when he's when he's dropping n bombs and like being super fucking shitty. Yeah. There's something about his eyes like, I can't believe I'm about to say the words that I'm about to say, but I'm a professional fucking actor, and this is what I get paid to do. Yeah. Maybe the, I was bringing some of that to the table, but it's because he's he's old. He's an old gent now. They're pretty shocking to to hear. Um, they are. They usually are. They always are. You know. Oh, absolutely. Um, but, but this is there's something. Dude, this, ab- is, this is the guy that that got Tom Cruise to win the Daytona 500 in Days of Thunder, man. Yeah, like I, I get you, dude. God it's, damn it. You're like no, it's Robert Duvall. Come on, Bobby. I almost Come feel on. like the moment where he. Uh, I almost felt like the, there is one moment where I thought that you could almost see a little bit of like, oh, I wish I wasn't. Ugh, God, okay, here we go. I got to say this line. It's in the script, and Steve McQueen's a genius, so I'm not going to. Yep. Here we go. Is when he calls um, Colin Farrell's uh, assistant. assistant. He calls him that your your porcelain doll or whatever. It's yep. like, you're, you're, yeah, why don't you tell that porcelain doll of yours to blah, blah, blah. Just like the weird. There was like a heart swallow before he delivered. Yeah, was like, he's like, here we go. All right. <laughs> Ooh, and Steve McQueen like, just, I know. He just cut like, out he just cut out all the bits of like Robert Duvall shaking his hands like here we like, go. We got this. Here we go, here we go. Okay, uh, okay. I said I was gonna retire, but Ooh, one more rodeo. Tell that porcelain doll. Yeah, I can't even do it, Steve. I can't do it. Yeah, he he does look a bit uncomfortable with some of his his like harsher his harsher bits of dialogue. I um, fucking hate him so holy shit, do I fucking not like this gentleman yeah. at all. Yeah, Robert Duvall is pretty but he is as terrible as he makes colin fair he makes young mulligan that much more interesting as a character to see where he came from oh my god keep keep telling me what you're talking about because i want well it's like because mulligan he's 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 got a bit of racist heart too you know yeah but there's okay i got it he's like consciously aware of it and i feel like at some time he's trying to not necessarily make amends for it, but there's there's a lot going on with him where he's not just this this old I'm a fuck fuck black people. Yeah, well, he's yeah. He comes from that and he's aware of that, and well, it's just such an interesting. I actually have his exact dialogue from this moment because I I was like I know I wrote this down because he because he, he he tells his dad to go fuck himself. I think it's it's we should read this dialogue because I wrote down a basically the exact same speech from Get Out, but just it's crazy. When I read it out loud, you're gonna probably know the monologue from Get Out that is the same yeah, exact thing. So 
By the way, uh, we have to do a little set dressing here. Bottles spotted in the background in Colin Farrell's office. We've got Lagavulin. We've got Tullamore Dew. And we have, I believe, Maker's Mark 46. Could just be Standard's Makers, but I'm, I, it's blurred out, so you can't see it. In this it. office, it's probably the 46. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, so Mulligan, uh, the elder, the elder Mulligan, Robert Duvall, says, um, this city is full. He's talking about the people that make up this city and why it's... It's the Mulligan's responsibility to run for office, even if they find it distasteful to stay here in Chicago. He says, this uh, city is full of people who come here illegally, people who can't stop making babies. And that means staying in power at all costs. Like, that means, dude, like, he's talking about, I know it's tough to wear this crown but you have to keep doing it because otherwise black people are going to wear it instead. Right. That is a fucked up thing. To was say. that, was that the old man or is that that's Robert Duvall? Yeah. That's Robert he's, Duvall. Right. He's sitting there and, and that was like immediately after that where Colin Farrell's like, ah, uh, you can, I don't need you anymore. Well, you can, I love uh, Colin. Go Farrell. fuck yourself. Essentially. I, dude. I love what he says. He's like, there's changes coming, you know, and it might, he's like, it might be 30, 40 years or whatever. He says, it's like coming down the pipe. And he's like, I look forward to that day. Because exist. yeah, because he's like, because old men like you won't exist anymore, and he's, it's so fucked. Up. He basically tells his dad, "I can't wait until you die, so I don't have to talk to you anymore." Yep. Because I, you think, old racist fuck. Because I think you're so disgusting. Yeah, which is such an interesting. Because we just heard, like two him, scenes prior, him. So he ever fuck a black dude? Yeah, you see him doing the same thing. Well, it's like he's working it out, right? It's like he's on a journey and he's trying to figure some shit out. He's come, he's he comes from this powerful fucking family he, in Chicago. Or is he self deluded? I think from, he's. I don't know, man. It's it's super interesting and it's worth it's worth looking at and discussing. I think it's, oh, it's one of those super because it's Steve McQueen okay. and he doesn't just fucking show you something without showing you something. So the moment. I, we did jump ahead and it's totally my Sorry. fault no no it was my fault well, i'm the one who took it around too so. it does yeah this talk about a movie talk about a movie with an intricately interwoven plot where this is a this is a i think a good example of how you should use jumping around in time some movies yeah. just do it to do the like oh tarantino did it let's jump in time this movie demands that you jump around in time because if you know everything up top all the surprises no. are gone so this movie figures out what to tell you when. You don't even know they have a kid until the third act. Yeah, <laughs> but it, and it doesn't feel unnatural because you know that something. First of all, something almost tore him apart. Oh, they lost a son. Oh, he tried to make up for this. You know, the son dying, and but she blames him for it. Like we get little snippets, and then we see his the son die, and you're like, what the fuck? But it's not a surprise because we've gotten the breadcrumbs. This. Yep. This movie is just like Get Out. Every detail on the screen, every beat, every plot thread, everything comes together like like just clean Perfectly. machinery. And my favorite, man, I'm coming around on this movie a little bit. You're good man, the, my fa- <laughs> you, dude, you, you, you did it to me with uh, Pariah last week. That's I was like, right. I don't know. It's kind of it. and then two hours later, Boy, I'm like, brilliant. <laughs> it was a triumph of American cinema. You know, like. Dude, that, how many times does our show end with that? Where we start, I like, know. <laughs> man, I loved it. I don't know, man. I thought it was kind of... And then it ends with both of us in tears. And <laughs> well, this this is the thing, though. since Because we watched this flick about three weeks ago, maybe two. two it's been two, a minute. Yeah, like two weeks. 
So I have we've talked about this on the show before where I will watch something and I will be sort of like meh about it, yeah, but yeah. it will percolate in my brain. Um, my favorite the Mr. Burns post apocalyptic musical was a perfect example of that. It was a musical I saw the P45 did a couple years ago. I fucking hated it when we left. I'm like, Danielle is the dumbest thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. Three days later, I'm going down YouTube and Wikipedia holes, like trying to learn as much <laughs> as I can about this because it's one of the most incredible pieces of, of live theater I've ever seen in my life. So that's kind of how I operate a little bit. Yeah. I haven't stopped thinking about Widows since I watched it. My favorite example of this was when we watched, um, Bird and I watched Hereditary. And I was like, oh my God, Carl, we're doing it for Patreon. You got to watch Hereditary. It's going right. to fucking blow your mind. So you watched Hereditary, and I was like, dude, give me your give me your one word review or whatever. And you were like, disappointed. And I was like, yeah. what? So I, <laughs> I texted you back, and I'm like, did you not? What do we mean? Dis- like, you were disappointed that it wasn't two hours longer? And you're like, no, dude, I, I, I'm going to be real. I kind of hated Hereditary. And I was like, son of a bitch. But then we couldn't get, for whatever reason, we got jammed up and couldn't get together to record for like three days. And then over I the next, you. yeah, next three days, I keep getting texts like, "Man, I can't stop thinking about Hereditary." Hey, man, remember that one scene in Hereditary where he's like, "Blah blah blah." <laughs> By the time we actually sit down to talk about, it, I'm like, "Dude, I'm like fucking brilliant." Fucking love Hereditary. Fucking brilliant. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> I fucking love Hereditary. Um, all right. So what happens right before we get the the scene where where Colin Farrell is both being racist and accusing his dad of being racist and that whole family's all fucked up and confused. Yep. Um oh, before I'm sorry, we got we got off on a brief tangent, but you know, I was saying how all of the plot and all yes. the tiny details come together like really clean machine like a finely oiled machinery and everything just click 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 right into place and it it has that really uh it's very intricate from a structural standpoint. Sean Bobbitt is the perfect cinematographer to render this world because his cinematography can be it by turns unbelievably intricate like watching his one shots come together watching how he connects spaces using really clean camera moves mirrors the structure of this film we we're watching intricate visuals reinforce an extremely intricate plot but Bobbitt also has a gift for letting the camera and I think this is also Steve McQueen because we've seen it in all his films it's but both of them yeah it's them working together is just this like one mind it's incredible letting th- their their propensity I should just start calling using them as a unit but their propensity for letting the camera sit Letting the actor work yes, as well dude. as the note. They let the camera sit. This is an early note that I have. It's when Viola Davis is having a breakdown in the mirror when oh she's God. getting ready. She puts herself together. The scene could have ended three or four different times in any other director's hands because mm-hmm. we've gotten the information. She's put herself together. But we sit for that extra amount of time to yeah. really let it play out to its – there's an extra couple of breaths that just add something. and Totally. It's, it's, uh, you you would get the same amount of information watching you the, that's what I don't I, know just no yeah letting that's... the camera sit and let the, letting the actor oh the scene's done now oh it's not done yet there's more to do here those extra little moments it's just fucking incredible that's what I love about directors like Jim Jarmish like yep. Steve McQueen um Jim Jarmish has a great quote about what he believes the future of cinema will be. He has a really high opinion of of audiences worldwide. Mm-hmm. He he thinks that in the future 
an audience won't care whether a film is 20 minutes or four hours. He's like, they're not going to be like, oh, it's a short film. Oh, let's stitch a bunch of them together so that we get some arbitrary hour and a half of entertainment. You're like, the 90 minute, fuck, it's like three minutes for songs, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's like, he's like, this is, he's like, we're not going to do this. In the future, people are going to, artists are going to make art and they're going to throw it out on a screen and people are going to sit and look at that screen and what they're watching will be a movie and it won't matter how long it is. I love, I think that Marvel movies get bloated because they're trying to do too much in one film. I think that the reason a Steve McQueen film is never bloated is because all of the time that he's taking is meaningful. It's mm-hmm. never shoehorning shit together or, or anything like that. If we're taking an extra 10 seconds at the mirror, 10 seconds of screen time is a long time. If we're taking an extra 10 seconds, it's because he wanted to give Viola Davis 10 seconds more to work with yep and she does yeah and it's an incredible scene and i'm like why is my face damp <laughs> well i mean at dude, the end of it like the macro just... the macro shot of her eye and then the zooming or panning down to the macro of her lighting that cigarette and taking a drag god she is wonderful i need to seek out more movies that she's done because she is just fucking she's a, she's a rock star man i'm pretty sure she's in uh, everyone in this is fucking yeah yeah this incredible work. this cast is really good Except, except for. So I have this. I I love Colin Farrell as an actor, but I have this thing. I hate it when he does voices. Okay. And he's definitely doing a voice in this. I don't know if he's trying to be a Philly frat boy from Chicago. (laughs) Um. I I was raised in the seats of Philadelphia, but Chicago, wherever I'm from. To be totally honest, I I caught it a little as well. I'm like motherfucker. He's close though, you know. You got to give him that. But. But I feel like Colin Farrell is consistent in doing some sort of affectation in every fucking role that he's ever done. <laughs> I don't know if it's because he's conscious of the fact he's got a pretty thick Irish accent, like oh, yeah. in real life. Yeah, yeah. So that's got to be hard, right? It's like it's like me trying to do an Irish accent. However, it's gonna sound like shit. Do you but f- don't forget, Liam Neeson also has a very thick Irish accent. That's right, and I I forget that he does because he he's does. He's so the, good at hiding it. He's so fucking good at it. Yeah, his uh, his voice. Like, I think I remember the first time I heard Liam Neeson in an interview. I was like, "The fuck!" <laughs> You're like five movies in, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> You're like, why is he doing this Irish accent in this? I was interview? like, oh, he's doing a bit. He's on Conan. He's doing a. Oh, that's his voice. That's how he talks. It's like the first time I heard Hugh Laurie talk, and I, I realized he wasn't American. Oh, I was really? like. <laughs> Right. I'd watched like oh. eight like eight seasons of House and nothing else, and then I saw him on. I think it was um, it might have been Conan O'Brien. Or no, not Conan O'Brien. It was uh, Craig Ferguson, the greatest late night host of all time. Yes, he's on Craig Ferguson, and he's like, "I've been in America for the last couple of weeks, awaiting your call." I'm like, "Why is he doing that weird posh British it's accent?" Because he's on Craig Ferguson, and he's trying to be funny. He's just trying to, yeah, yeah. And then no, he's British, and you're like, "What in the fuck?" Dude, him as House in House is more American than maybe any American any has American ever lived. Ever? <laughs> but we're not talking about House. We're talking about no. But that's the only. If I'm gonna give any any criticism, unemployed actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Colin Farrell. Uh, can I give you a note, Colin? You're 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 better than this. You're better than this. Stop. Stop it. You're better. Look he, at who you are. Look is at a, your body of work. You're he incredible. Is real, he is a very good actor. Deadpool aside, not Deadpool, fucking Daredevil, where you play Bullet, bullet Brain. Uh, bullseye? Bullseye. 
bullseye. Bullseye? Oh wow, Carl. Uh, I'm gonna be real with you, man. Um, I saw it at that that time in my childhood where movies imprint on you. So I, <laughs> it was dude, your mom. No, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I clung to Matt <laughs> to uh, Ben Affleck. Sorry, Matt Damon would never ben be ben. in Daredevil. He's a legitimate actor. No, I'm yeah. kidding. I actually like Ben Affleck in a lot of stuff too. But wait, hold on. Do I? I can think of one movie that I like him in. Two. He's good in paycheck. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> it's good talking movies with you again, dude. Yeah, I like fuck it. yeah, man. I missed it. Um, now I want to watch Daredevil again. So, really quick, I want to talk about <laughs> patron exclusive Max and Carl <laughs> break up over Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so... <laughs> Uh, talking about just uh, like attention to detail and things like yeah. that. There's we 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 kind of talked about when the sun gets shot in the car. So the way that this happens in the movie because of the time jumps, the sun, we watch the cop kill the sun. The next thing we see is Viola Davis realizing that Colin Farrell is going to be the next job, and then the th- next thing after that is Colin Farrell and uh, Robert Duvall having the office conversation where he's like, "I can't wait until there are no more old men like you." And they're having that conversation while she's waiting in the, in, in the yeah, hall. She's, well, she's casing the house, which is another thing I love, like entering a premises on false pretenses and then you get lost. And even the I'm looking, I'm looking for, for the, the bathroom, bathroom. Yeah. fucking love it, dude, because it's, it's almost like a rite of passage for a high before school. She's, before she said it, I'm like, oh, this is the waiting for the bathroom scene. Yeah. Or oh, I'm, I'm looking, looking for the bathroom, for the bathroom scene. scene. She turns, I'm looking for the bathroom. And I'm like. Thank you, thank you. You gave me you gave me one more check on my list of things that I need in a heist flick. I'm looking for the bathroom. So goddamn it, yeah, he's he's checking all of the tropes of a heist movie while while saying something different. Yeah, well, he's he's hitting all the beats of a heist movie while totally subverting the genre of a heist movie. Um, but anyway, this as the sun. Oh right, as the sun is driving in the car and he's on the phone with his dad. I don't know if you saw this, but he drives by a section of brick wall, like in a really dilapidated neighborhood near an underpass, and that brick wall is papered with Barack Obama campaign flyers. Did you I see? missed that? Nope. Holy shit! It's the hope and change flyer. No shit. Yeah. So as oh, he's wow. as he's about to be murdered by a cop in a neighborhood that is falling apart, he drives past um just. A bunch of Barack Obama's face with hope and change written on it. Fuck. Remember the line earlier when Robert Duvall looks at the art on the wall and he calls it wallpaper? Guess what this guy just drives by? Something that's equally meaningless. You know what I mean? Like, yep. that that was a pretty fucking heavy moment for me. I'd like watching him drive and realizing what Steve McQueen had just done. Hope and change right before a young black man gets and it's not, killed for no reason. Yeah, and it's not just that. It's the because he draws our attention to it earlier when mm-hmm. Robert Duvall okay. walks walks into the Colin walks into Colin Farrell's living room and he's like you spending all your money on this wallpaper here and Colin Farrell goes it's art pops and he goes it's wallpaper and Colin Farrell goes again art and Robert Duvall goes again wallpaper there's a reason that we're doing that he really wants us to remember that word wallpaper and then we see Obama campaign pictures in a ghetto and you're like, holy shit, Steve McQueen. Wow. It's, dude, there's a lot. There's just too much. There's <laughs> too much for me, man. It's like my brain can't keep it all up. Um, Jumping back in the movie, um, 
so there's like there's this guy there's this religious figure in town the like uh, I called him the uh, the religious huckster. Yep. So they're trying to they're both trying to get his endorsement because Reverend Wheeler. Reverend Wheeler. Dude, you're on you're on point with the names today. Dealing, right? Oh, he he totally is. He's uh he's a sleazy bit of shit this guy is. Um I love his first speech when he we see him like whipping up the crowd, right? Yeah, we get the Yeah, that's where we He's giving us He's given his his sermon and it's like yeah, and then cut to pretty abruptly him alone like having like a suit and tie business meeting in doing his, business. Yeah, yeah, where they're like, uh, where they, uh, what's his name, Jamal Murdoch? Uh, Jamal Manning. Manning. Where Manning is like, hey, I need your endorsement, man. Matt Murdoch is Daredevil. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> ben Affleck is Daredevil, and Colin Farrell is an Irish assassin who can kill a man with a shitload of paper clips. <laughs> so no, but um, when Mulligan goes in to ask, he Manning. asks him Manning. When Manning goes in, he asks him for support, but more importantly, money. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I have your endorsement, right? Yeah, I think it's interesting that Wheeler is like, when he asks about the endorsement, he's like, yeah, you know, I could probably do that. And he's like, and you know, your contribution. He goes, well, hold on, how much are we talking here? Yep. Don't. What do we talk? His how posture m- totally fucking changes, dude. Everyone, it's like when. Watch this anybody who watched this movie once and was like man that was really good I want to show this to someone else next time you see this watch how people react around money money is all over this movie and it really changes how people behave like their their true selves come out the greed become the or I don't know man it's wild yeah well when like later on everyone <laughs> when the sugar daddy is talking when he brings up money overtly to the blonde woman that's when the situation becomes distasteful to her yep she's like but that was and the, the crazy thing is that's the arrangement but as soon as you say it right once the, the money money's once you say the money's on the counter yeah the, he the, literally throws the money on the table like he throws bills on the table and he's like let's let's save that because that has a lot to do with um betty frieden's but in my head i combined it with betty frieden's book the feminine mystique like his reasoning for why they never go to his place is like the thesis of one of the most seminal feminist texts of all time and i do realize that it was ironic and in a horrible way that i used the word seminal to describe that my bad um (laughs) but in the in wheeler's like opening speech he says the he has this thing he says ignorance is the new excellence i think it's really interesting that he says that He's like, as an indictment, he's like, we got to educate ourselves. Ignorance is the new excellence. And yet this whole time, like, whatever he tells his congregation, they will do. That's why the politicians are so hungry for his endorsement. He's up there being like, you got to educate yourselves or people will just be able to lead you around by the nose. And that's exactly what he's doing. That's, <laughs> yep. Dude, it's... Oh, the, even the you know like i was gonna say like everybody but it's it's ironic when the most obvious criminals are the least distasteful people in the movie but even they are kind of rough to deal with sometimes especially viola davis um oh okay can all right so we're about to get to it's when they first go to the warehouse to meet up viola davis michelle rodriguez and the blonde woman she finds the his cigar smoldering in the ashtray and his jacket with his bow still on it. Yeah. Um but 
but also the best shot in the movie immediately precedes this. Bird and I watched it twice because I was I had so to... when she's going in, she's got the dog with her. Um... Yeah, yeah. The first time she goes in, um, uh, Dil- Garrett Dillahunt drives her there. O- old mm-hmm. Rust Bucket. Like, this is a bad idea. Rust Rocket McGillicuddy drives her there in the. <laughs> Rusty McGillicuddy. Yeah, yeah. But um, no. So here's how the shot starts, which is amazing. He, I'm gonna just say this is Bobbit. So Bobbit shoots the Chicago Overground Train approaching in the darkness, and it's. I believe uh, they call that the L. The L train? Is it actually the L? Yep, the L because elevated. It's okay. Elevated train. So it we follow the L from right to left, right as it goes through the night, uh, mostly empty, lit. It's a just the train is beautiful. It's like. It's like the 12 years of slave shots of swamps, you know, like yeah. it's just gore. It's so exactly what you need to see in that moment. And we fall, we track the train to the right. And when we get almost all the way to the left, like where it's a tracking shot going right to left, the camera drops and we pick up an SUV heading from left to right. So we are in a crane shot. That's how we're so high. We're in a crane, right? So we go right to left, we drop down and then we track uh, we track an SUV toward us, and then the SUV turns, and we track the SUV right to left, even though it's going in a different direction. <laughs> so we're still in a crane, but the crane has started to come down, so the crane is lowering, right? I'm not even sure how he did this next bit. When the camera gets about to the ground ground level, it almost looks so low, it's like a fig rig shot, like a foot off the ground. Which I don't even know. I don't know what. How do we're, you do that? I don't know what we're doing because we're shooting on a crane. We get almost to the ground, and then the camera pivots nearly 180 degrees around the back bumper of a parked car to watch the SUV pull to a stop. It's like 60 second shot that involves five different insanely complicated camera moves, and it's perfectly executed. And, and you're filming an SUV approaching the back door of a warehouse. Yeah, that's how Steve McQueen shows Viola Davis arriving at the meetup. That's what that shot is. It's like, and Viola, and uh, and she got to the meetup and went in the warehouse. <laughs> right. And it's like a ten-part multi-one shot. That's just the most gorgeous fucking bit of camera work I've seen in ages. And then it dollies. I don't even know where that even comes from. Because the unless magic. It, oh my god, god unless they're stabilizing the camera as the crane unit gets in position, how do they dolly down the fucking alley? Because they were behind the car and they pivot around it. This is all like very technical camera shit, but if you watch that shot, man, the, the physics of it do not make sense. And I'm just assuming that it's Steve McQueen and Sean Bobbitt doing witchcraft. That's legitimately Absolutely. the only thing I can. Imagine. They have they have created different rigging. That yeah. we are not aware of. Yeah. Or it's the, their secret recipe. That must be what it is. Like on that, it's like the prestige. There was only two people on, on the, you know, on the equipment the only that day. exists for, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they, they disassemble it and put it back in like the Ark of the Covenant so boxes no when they're done. <laughs> it's got to be like hover technology. It's the only thing Seriously, I can think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Let me see here. Uh, we already talked about that. There's just there's a lot of little stuff. Um, that's that's the one thing I don't like about the, like the way that I'm taking notes right now is I just have a lot of little notes. I think it's really interesting that um, the man that the uh, that the blonde woman gets together with, she I'm sure you noticed she's like six foot two. She's a really yeah. tall woman. 
He is not a tall man. He's a very short man. And I think it's interesting that his job is to build tall buildings. You know, like just mm -hmm. his character, especially when we see her and him standing next to each other, we find out what his job is. I thought that was like a really nice little detail. Um, he's yeah, he's just such a scummy fucker. Um, yep. let's see what else I I want to talk about. I want to talk about higher order stuff rather than little. Yep, absolutely. Let's do it. Little bibbity booze. Because um, there's a lot of bibbity boo. We could be bibbity boobing all day long on this flick. Like there's so many. Yeah. Let's. Why don't we do? Why don't we do that? Why don't we talk? Let's get out the big stuff and then let's shout out some of the small stuff because there is cool stuff with mirrors there is yep. really cool camera angles out of windows um yeah i don't know uh, the best yeah it's the best use of it's that trope in a lot of i've been saying trope is the word of the day today for me um well it is kind of <laughs> what it is <laughs> tropes are tropey for a reason mm. the um the seeing someone that has seeing like the the ghostly figure of someone that has passed it happens in not just like heist movie, but any movie. It's like their reflection behind you, and sometimes it feels super cheesy, and you're like, "Oh god!" But right. here, it's like I don't know because it's Bobbitt and McQueen when when Bella Davis is standing in the window of her apartment, and Liam Neeson comes up behind her, right? And he's obviously he's clearly the reflection of of him in the yeah. But she's looking out into the city, and it's just such a beautiful moment yeah and then another moment that that continues on for for some time. some time yeah they let you sit with it i like when we cut to the reverse too and we realize that he's not there because mm -hmm. that is the cheapest and most effective way to shoot a ghost yep Just shoot someone's reflection like and it's not cheesy they're not seeing them it's not that like Oh my God! We just watched uh, the Ro all the Rocky movies, and I think it's in Rocky Balboa. There's a moment where he, where Rocky is going back into his old apartment, and he sees like the ghost of Adrian, okay. just sort of like smiling at him or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> just being mother, all, like motherfucker, being all ghosty, <laughs> being all ghosty, and like I get it. He's having a memory. She's not actually a ghost. We're seeing it through his eyes, mm. but that just feels cheesy as shit to me. This does not this feels like remembering someone vaguely in in a piece we talked about this in in pariah reflective glass that's a window uh is different than a mirror right it's reflective but it's not a mirror right. you can see the image but you can also see the outside world so he exists but doesn't exist in the real world yeah if it was his reflection in a mirror that would indicate that he is in fact part of the same world that she is is in right but the fact that it's a it's it's a window it's reflective surface where the real world still exists yeah the other side of it and using more of that um using more of the metaphors of reflection uh in, yeah. in the in the window i really like the idea that because he's reflected in the window if if he were there if this if this is how reflections work then the truth of him the actual the actuality of him is behind her Yes. But the idea or the image of him is in front of her. Absolutely. And she's using his notebook to pull this heist. So in a way, he is still out there for her. We do find yeah. out later that he's literally also still out there. I wanted to be so mad at that twist. Like, oh, fuck. You son of a bitch. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You got me. Oh. Mm -hmm. But it works in, It works here. <laughs> yeah, I. that's – I kind of – okay, so a little bit of like uh, – 
a little bit of unfortunateness. I about halfway through this movie texted my mom because she was like, your dad and I want a movie to watch. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm watching one right now. You're going to fucking love it. You got to watch Widows. It's so good. Spoil you on Widows. Uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. She'd seen it already. And she, so I I hit her up and I'm like, you got to watch Widows, mom. It's so good. It's like this heist movie. It's directed by one of my favorite directors. You're going to, oh, it's so awesome. Like it's so well shot and everyone's great in it. It's got Liam Neeson. Mom goes, is that the one where Viola Davis shoots Liam Neeson to death in in the warehouse at the end? I'm like. I you know couldn't huh? couldn't tell you only halfway through but I could possibly be because he's dead in this movie <laughs> yeah I kind of can't imagine there's more than one movie with Liam Neeson and Viola Davis in a warehouse so fuck guess I know how this ends <laughs> even knowing how it ended I had so I thought what happened is we were gonna find out that Viola Davis had blown up the van and she had double crossed him and she had the money the whole time because I was like well shit okay how does what I know now fit in with what we've got. Which is perfect because me trying to second guess the movie totally wrong. Yeah. The the only the moment when I realized like oh this is where Viola Davis is gonna shoot Liam Neeson he was already like I think he'd already hit her and I was like oh this must be the bit. <laughs> so I did get spoiled, but in a way I also didn't get spoiled. You know what I mean? Right. So I was like okay okay, but yeah, my mom almost wrecked this movie for me. Um. Yeah, okay, so you know what? While I'm talking about, like, amazing shots, I got to talk about this one. When Viola Davis and, I, dude, I know we should be like, so during the heist when they're actually stealing the money. and No, it's when she drops her dog off at the kennel. We're in a, a car pulls up to a curb. We're looking out the passenger side window of a car that's parked, okay? For the, God, I wish, maybe I should find, like, get a screenshot of this and put it up because it's, gorgeous we're looking out the window and basically the way that the block is structured is we're we're looking at it as though it were the Flatiron building the big famous building from john wick so we're on a, a street corner and in either direction is our, our street there's a, a sidewalk going one way and a sidewalk going the other way and we're looking straight into a building whose door is on the corner so the entrance to the building is straight in you got it in your head i think you know yep. the shot i'm talking about i do okay there are two paths away from this point she's at a crux she's at the top of a mountain and depending on the choices that she makes things are going to go one of two ways so she walks we watch her ostensibly walk straight into the kennel and she's like putting her dog in the kennel but why is steve mcqueen showing us this it's not to watch her put the dog in the kennel it's to watch all the other shit that's going on i think this is amazing the 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 bar on the front of the car that holds the windshield in is bifurcating the sky on the left-hand side of the screen. The right-hand side of the screen is naturally bifurcated in exactly the same way by the skyline of the building. So you get the sky cut into equal slices on either side so that the screen is almost a perfect mirror image of itself. On the left-hand street, there's a guy... Hold on, let me just read my note. There are two paths away from this point, but first Veronica must set down her comfort and walk one way or the other alone. Because she has never been without that dog. Yeah, the dog is her a total crutch. Do you mind if I set down my dog? Oh, here I've got my dog. The dog gets taken. The dog is also Mm -hmm. a weakness for her. That's how um um uh, not Mulligan, the other guy Manning. Manning. That's 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 how Manning the dog. Yeah, yeah, that's how Manning gets her to sit down and shut up while he talks. He's like, "I'll kill your dog if you don't." So this has been 
her comfort and she needs to set this down and do what she's going to do on her own however there's more on the left a man is walking towards us on the right a man is walking away from us those two men are if you were to put them together watching the scene a couple times if you were to put them together in a straight line they're about equidistant from each other because when they pass each they, they're never near each other but they pass each other at the same moment they pass the same plane at the same moment and they're okay, well, and they're walking at the same pace so it it creates like a really you know how the wachowskis are famous for putting twins and shit yes watching this scene kind of fucked with my brain because i'm like oh my god, the sky is cut into perfect pieces on both sides. He's created symmetry using like multiple different techniques to like draw lines and create boxes. And then you realize that all the extras are walking at the same pace in different directions. And you're like, I I can't even deal with this much shit in a heist movie, man. You're like, I, I don't That's know what to do. man. Yeah, yeah. It's- That's why I love chat movies because you have that eye for shot composition and you notice you notice shit like that a lot more than I do. Yeah, and then uh, when you bring it up in our conversations, I'm like, man, I need to watch this movie again. It's my and it's like it's my jam. It's like my absolute favorite thing. Um, it's all it's all because of Roger Deakins. I saw right? um, I saw Rush and I saw Skyfall and I saw Prisoners like within a couple of years of each other. And I'm like, OK. I need to know who and it was him who did all of those. But like you realize you're like, holy shit, like somebody out there is painting with moving pictures it's like you you have this artist's eye for uh like you can't don't just put people in a straight line build triangles use depth use the and he uses all those things there's a great website i think i've linked to it before in episodes that breaks down roger deacon's shot compositions and it's like here's the they show you like here's his triangle so he's built a triangle here here are two circles but he's staggered them to create like horizontal symmetry and you can see that he actually places people and objects in such a way that it creates geometry in the frame and that's why his images are so fucking compelling to look at so then when you see stuff like that with sean bobbitt or you see elliot rocket in like house of the devil um you're like okay there are there are cinematographers out are out there who aren't just like yeah this is a cool angle yeah this is a great angle it's <laughs> that like looks pretty right right like how can i add depth to this how can i put use... a red gel on yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> i mean look man some of my favorite cinematographers from hammer films in the 70s are like i'm like some of that is the most delicious cinematography but put the camera there throw a red gel on it okay oh uh, you know what this doesn't look quite right you know what dutch tilt there you go, done. <laughs> Can you get in a hole real quick? Shoot up. <laughs> Perfect. Hey man, um, if you, oh god, the Shining documentary of Stanley Kubrick. Oh, sh- he, he's you can see him trying to figure out how to shoot Jack Nicholson, yelling at Wendy from inside the locker, and then he goes, "Oh wait a minute," and he lays down on the ground and shoots straight up, and he goes, "Yeah, this will do." Yep. It made me. I literally rolled a tear because I was like, "That we just got to watch the moment that Stanley Kubrick." came up with one of the most iconic shots in history. You know, with the here's Johnny moment? Here's Johnny Not moment? the here's Johnny moment. The <laughs> moment when uh, when Jack Torrance has got his head leaned against the door. And oh, we're shooting that one. Worm's oh. eye straight up, and he goes, Wendy! And he's inside the like the cooler. That's the moment. You see Stanley Kubrick be like, what if we shot it from down here? Oh, that looks pretty good. And you're like, that that was it. We saw the moment that... Oh, dude, I don't know. That's, that's like deep film nerd shit. My bad. Um... Yeah. What? Is, okay. All right. So we haven't talked that much about Daniel Daniel Kulia. So I want to talk a little bit about him 
and how he dies, and then we can wrap up any final thoughts that we yep. have. All right, so then, having just – we'll probably talk about it a little bit from the other way when yeah. we talk about Get Out. Yes. Right? Talk about him or – Him. Yeah, his, right. him as, as an actor. Yeah, yeah. Very different f- roles. You can't – you don't get much more different than these two. No. The, where the, he's a chameleon. He's not even recognizable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, he, in these – like – astonishingly I put, I put it together at one point i'm like oh shit he's he's from widows okay but then i'm like and also black panther yeah yeah <laughs> yeah man he so, like, what the fuck? so like i had him i had him in my head pretty solidly from get out and then i saw right. this and i was like holy sh-. he's like this super cold very he is very intense He's vicious, man. Oh, my God. Okay, so we we, t- we alluded to it earlier, but the scene when he kills the two underlings in the gymnasium. He, Rap we, for me. Oh you my. got a new song? Drop your beats. Dude, what about that? We, we're panning through, like, a, a locker room, and we hear a beat and rapping, but it's muffled. It's like... And you can't hear anything. You're like, okay, some... Oh, it sounds like someone's got, like, a boombox going in the showers. You know, it's, yep. like, really shitty. And then we keep we keep moving through the locker rooms again. McQueen gives us time, and it it makes it ominous because we have time to get tense and wonder why we're doing it this slowly. Yep. And then we see that big fucking metal box, and the dude comes over and unlocks the metal box, like this big giant like steel box. Like um, anytime you've ever seen like a uh, one of those like old nineteen forties like. And we're gonna break out of this torture camp. It's always the like that's the hot box where everyone's always like yeah, getting dehydrated. It's, le- it's where they put the foreign legion guys. Yeah, yeah. The, the foreign legion guys are supposed to be in this box, but it's not. Yeah. It's two underlings, and you're like, oh, I thought it was gonna be the foreign legion. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be Jean Claude Van Damme and Lionheart. Yeah, why didn't he do a big spinning kick and just get out of there? <laughs> <laughs> but they open it, and it's two like underlings of uh uh. Manning it's two of Manning's yeah. underlings who were on guard the night that is that Liam Neeson and co ripped off his money so they were like they <laughs> they get taken in front of Daniel Coolia who shows up reading a book which is another detail that I love I don't know we don't ever I didn't wasn't able to catch what the book was but there's something about him like coming in reading he finishes his paragraph and gets like a bookmark in and sets it down and walks over to him and he's like hey there guys so why don't you want to talk to me about like what happened? What happened to all the money? And we find out that dollars went away. What's up? T- was it two? It was two million. Oh, right? it's two million. Yeah. Yeah, they lost two million dollars. And he's, they're like, well, you know, we find out that they were recording beats and working on their raps. And he goes, he tells them, he's like, do it again. Show me, show me, show me your raps. One guy starts doing beats, and the we talk a lot of uh, with Tom Hardy and actors like that about. Utilize and Gary Oldman utilizing physical space and understanding that just being close to someone creates discomfort mm-hmm. in a certain context. And the guy like goes to start rapping and he has to stop. He's like, nope. the guy's like two feet taller than he is, too. Yeah, yeah. Coolia is and, fairly short and he's intimidating as fuck, dude. He's one of the scariest villains I've ever seen. Uh, we'll talk about what he does to the guy in the uh, the Firefly Lounge or the Fireside oh, Lounge. My God, to Benny from The Mummy. Yeah, yeah. 
look, when you're Benny from the Mummy, you've got you're just you're gonna get stabbed in the legs. You I just mean, have a <laughs> shit day coming. Like that's why you're here. Um, Seriously. But the guy like tries to start rapping. He stops. He's like, no, no, I gotta give me wait. I'm gonna let the beat come back around, and he starts rapping. And Kulia keeps moving his head to make force the guy to look into his eyes as he's rapping, and the dude keeps it together. And you know, Daniel Daniel starts shaking, you know, bobbing his head. This oh, like, I'm getting the beat. Yeah, yeah he's okay. got like this leather jacket on, fucking scary intense. And but he's not smiling, and he's not letting this dude, this dude's eyes off his eyes. But you see him like kind of jamming. He's like, okay. And when you you're like, okay, he's fully into it. It is the talk about top level acting. It's the precise moment that you start to feel safe again. You're like, these guys might be okay. It's that instant that he pulls a gun out and shoots the rapper in the head. Point. I'll go. Fucking I'll go blank. one further. Yeah. He's so fucking good. That you start to become settled in, and it's a microsecond before he pulls the gun that you realize he's about to kill them. Before he pulls it's, the trigger? Before, yeah. Like before he, he, you start to feel comfortable, and then you have, oh, fuck, he's going like, he, he is. He gives you a second to feel gives, the, oh, gives fuck. He you that, like, hot second. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> before he does it. Yeah. And you know. I think I'm with you Before you, you even this. see a gun, he's, oh, he's going to kill, he just killed him. Fuck. It's incredible. Some of the, one of the most amazing moments and the, the, of this film and in general oh it's yeah incredible. it's so dude he's so good he has he, yeah looks at the other guy run dude runs shoots him in the back what once i think it's just think, a one shot he gets him once or twice yeah yeah and the dude goes down he drops the gun on the ground turns to a dude clean this up clean it up goes and gets, goes and gets his book steps over the spreading pool of blood and walks out the door one of the best like Bravo. Like henchman bad guys ever. I mean, I, I put I put that that moment up there with anything that Gary Oldman has done. Oh, yeah. You've already said it, man. Like the the big heavy hitters of like the don't fuck with this dude. Yeah, like the the like dangerously unhinged but ice cold. I think he's I think he has put himself in the top five for me in that in that role. Uh, yeah, of don't fuck with this guy, dude. I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to cross him in any way. Yeah. I don't want to be his friend. Uh, I don't want to be on his good side. I'm gonna say I don't I'm gonna say this dude. Gary Busey, Die Hard, or not? Um, Lethal Weapon One. Lethal Weapon. Yeah, yeah. yeah Gary Joshua. Busey, Lethal Weapon is Joshua. He's definitely yep. up there as don't fuck with this guy. He's unhinged. Um, Gary Oldman in, in the professional. professional. Yep, yep. <laughs> that's pretty fucking unhinged, scary guy. God damn. Yeah, man. Uh, Gary Oldman in anything? <laughs> everything Gary Oldman's in. Actually, you still haven't seen Lawless yet, but he plays a pretty no. unhinged fucking gangster in that flick. It's weird. Gary Oldman is an unhinged guy. You'd never guess. Um, <laughs> I I think that in a, in a way, it was really good to watch this and get out back to back because you get to see two masterpieces of cinematography. You get to see two auteur directors who are reinventing the genres they're working in. Absolutely. In this one, heist. In the next one, horror. Um, directors who are managing to seamlessly weave in social and racial commentary, feminist ideas, very intelligent films in typically, we can say it, hacky genres. No. So watching this and watching Get Out, my first note for Get Out, and it's on the coattails of having watched this, yeah. is they do still make movies. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're they're we, starting we come, to we make said, movies. They used to make again. movies. It's something we said. Yeah, yeah, since in season Conan. two. Yeah, but but they still do, man. Yeah, there's, there's a handful of them. 
There's a lot of gold out there, man. Um, to continue to to wrap up our brief discussion of uh, of Mr. Assassin. By the way, I like that he's got levels when he is listening to um, when he's listening to uh, um, uh, Man- Manning, Manning in the debate, and Manning is like throwing down like you know the racial disparity in this city is not going to stand. It, He's got him on the ropes. It's later on after um, the assassin guy, after Daniel Coolia's um, stolen the the van and the money from the women, and he's like, he's like, get him, get him, Manning, and he's he's like cheering on, and you realize that he's actually applauding and rooting for this guy, not because this is his boss and this is his but employer. He, he will be a good yeah. He actually believes in this, in this guy's role. message. So there's like this added layer. We've seen. Most of his violence actually is against like other people of color, you know, whether it be Michelle Rodriguez or whether it be, um, you know, like the two henchmen who get shot in the head. Actually, the one white guy that he attacks, he doesn't. He's a crook, too. Well, he doesn't kill him either. No, well, he's under a no kill order. Yeah, he's after got a he nu- nuked oh. the other two kids. <laughs> he's just dropping bombs. But yeah, it's like, like you, can't kill, you can't kill two kids in a rec center. Yeah. And okay. then. We're gonna have to pump the brakes on the murder. After the election, yeah, <laughs> like two, like two months. You, you no, can stab a, you can stab a uh, biplegic in the legs a bunch. That was okay. So that scene when he comes in to find out where the notebook is, and he flips the the handicapped guy onto the into the like the, the, lane, bowling, the bowling lane, and that guy or we just call him Benny. Benny pulls out his like his like baton thing, his like little extendo baton, but he can't get at him because you know he's paralyzed and he's dragging him. He's trying to drag himself away from this guy, and we start. We're in a close shot, low, watching him crawl. We're like right, just his face and his shoulders are in frame, and we start hearing. Can't feel that, huh? And that's when we zoom out. And we see that Danielle Coulia is just stabbing him in the legs to see how high up he can stab before the guy feels it. That's so fucked up. Yeah, he figures it out, too. He's like, he stabs him, oh, and he's like, ah, and he's like, oh, all right, so you can feel everything from the chest up. And he figures out where he loses sensation, and he's just... There's something really fucked up and really haunting about the sound of that knife and no reaction from no Benny. No reaction? Yeah, it, was, it turned my stomach a little bit to be honest with you that scene yeah that was intensely brutal like we've watched we've watched some pretty hairy shit for this this series or this this podcast and holy fuck dude watching that i was like jesus it's i feel like that's the scene that danielle came in and was like what are you watching oh yeah yeah if it was good watching someone get stabbed in the legs it's fine yeah i mean if you (laughs) in her perfect danielle timing She's got the best timing for sure. If shit. there was going to be a scene, it would it's that one. It'd be that one or Liam Neeson and Viola Davis' son getting killed. And she'd be like, oh, yep. Carl, no. We can't I'm have you doing so this. So glad you're back in measuring. Yeah. <laughs> glad we got I that. Had, I had three months of just <laughs> peace. Glad we watching, got that Skype thing figured out. Watching, watching Billy Madison. and You're like, yeah, we're doing nunsploitation next month. Right. So... Uh... <laughs> Um, all right, and then finally, I want to get to his his death, mostly because his death is pretty satisfying. Um, most of the time, it's fun to watch a villain die. No exception here. It's you're yep. glad to see him go because he is a vicious son of a bitch. 
But the thing I like more almost is they so the girls perform the heist. They they pull off the heist, get back to their their getaway van, load the getaway van, and that's when they get um like hijacked by the this assa- this like hitman character. Yep. He steals their money, gets in the van. He's all happy cuz he pulled it off. He's like, "Aha, I did it." And then we see a car in the in the background through the so back window catching man. up, catching up, catching up. They ram him, he crashes into an overpass, but what I wanted to ask you is did they have a backup car? Did I feel like they stole that car. I it's the, I thought it was the I, Subaru, so I thought it was the one that they were like scoping it I'm, out in. I'm pretty sure the only thing that they came in was that van. Okay. So, so who knew how I, to stole, steal a car really fast? I thought it was I thought that this was a it, redundancy where they were like been. if they she, may have had it parked around the corner is probably what that was cuz it did look super familiar like it was the other car. Yeah, the one that um uh Michelle Rodriguez drops the driver yeah, off in exactly. for the for like scoping out the place. So I was sitting there and I'm like, dude, that's that's another like heist thing where they're like, We got a plan we got a backup plan for the backup plan. And even if it wasn't somebody there knew how to fucking jack a car. Yeah, and in that cool case, too. like way to have your shit handled. Like don't don't sweat this, I got Just this. Just in case I need one of you to learn how to hotwire a car. You can see Viola Davis doing that, be like and someone's like, Actually you can't really fucking anything that was made after two thousand four you can't technically hotwire, so you gotta make sure this is 2003 or uh, uh, older. Yeah, you gotta. Keep, so it's, if just, it's push to start, there's nothing I can do. If it's it, a push to start, I can't do shit about it. It's the computers. It's the computers. It, you know, you could just push start a stick. Actually, you know, we just use a screwdriver. <laughs> oh, where you going? Down the hill and pop the clutch. You just see Viola Davis being like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm glad that's your thing. You're gonna know that. Or the Subaru is <laughs> gonna be around the corner. Yeah, maybe she was like, this sounds like a headache. Why don't we just get yeah. another car and <laughs> leave it there? Um, yeah, man. You know, what I just realized we didn't. We haven't talked about the actual heist at all, other than I the. the it's, coo- it's so fucking secondary to everything in the whole movie. They steal a bunch of money from the mansion and accidentally shoot Robert Duvall. Yeah, but he had it coming because he shot one of them, and he's yep. such a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean the heist is so like they. It's it's okay. It, two minutes all, of the flick. Yeah, all the stuff we're talking about is like the the ta- the like conversationally interesting stuff. The heist. Is just a visual treat. It's come on, it, you know it's gonna be well shot. I love shot. the little the little fucking joke, our moment of humor where they get the the code written down from the from the the designer of the safe. Oh, that was he writes the code down. That was so clever. Like, it's not fucking working. It's not working. It's like right. you have it upside down. Oh, because it's all like sixes and nines and shit. Yeah, man, and it's eight, eights, sixes and nines. My favorite part of that is like it, that is the only those are the only numbers where that would work. And it's yep. dude, come on, it's so smart. It's so fucking clever. I love that. It's upside down. Flip it. I love when they get into the vault too and all the money is in lockboxes so it looks like there's only like $10,000 in there when you first get in and they also shoot pretty tight because they're going into a tight space so you just see this like little stack of money and you're like Oh my God! They're do- they did all this for like five grand. He already moved his money. That you think like, oh, they got tipped because there was a woman looking at the thing, and then you hear those lockbox lids come up, and you see like it's like the Die Hard moment, man. It's like fifty million dollars dollars in bonds, just like yes, dude. And you're like, oh shit! Oh, it's a okay. The heist is pretty awesome, but yeah, the rest of it's great. What did you think of the ending? The very ending where Viola Davis and the blonde woman kind of reconnect outside the coffee shop i have a read yeah. on it i want to know what yours is. i i love that it's that it ends when it does yeah. right because she sees 
it starts a little bit before then, right? Yeah, they're that, in, the sequence. They just happen to realize that they're in the same diner. They right. make eye contact. There's a little bit of like, I'm glad that you made it. You got gut shot. You're okay. Good to see you. Right, yeah. But then we think that that's going to be it because the blonde, she she leaves. Then Viola Davis leaves. And, and then there's a little denouement. It's like, how have you been? Yeah, yeah. I, I like, I think it's the first time in the movie that we see Viola Davis smile. Too. It is the only time we see her smile. Yeah, and except for maybe a flashback with Liam Neeson, but that, those are she's not really smiling yeah, there. Either. Those are mostly about the dead child, so they tend to be a little yeah. dour as well. Um, but it's like a true smile, like maybe this is a friend, this is a start of something. I don't know. It's it's. Uh, what I really like about that, I, it feels to me like a continuation of the the scene where she and the blonde woman hug each other their moment yeah where they absolutely. they reject this the paradigm of the heist film where they're like yep. here are the roles we're all meant to be playing and they go like fuck that like no men don't necessarily men aren't running this the best way like we we let's be in touch with our emotions like let's support one another and then there's that whole thing where she says like when this is done we go our separate ways i never see you guys again Maybe you doesn't. Maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe yep. we can form bonds. Maybe bonds are important. Maybe that's what keeps us alive. I mean, that's that is what keeps the blonde woman alive. Michelle Rodriguez yep. won't bail on her. She brings She's her. Like, to I'm the not hospital. leaving her. We're gonna drop her off at the hospital. Fuck this shit. Yeah, it's like, not worth it. Watching watching them reject the old way and if this was the dudes, it would have been a dump and run. It's like, sorry, you're on your own. Yeah, John Barenthal's like dying in an alley. You know, yep. that's how that all shakes out. But man, I just. I love the way this ends because it's like because it is a violation of how any other heist film would have ended. You know, it would have been the like the cool nod and then you walk away. It's like the end of the of the uh, Dark Knight Rises when Alfred sees sees uh, uh, Bruce Christian Wayne. Bale in the yeah. And he just gives him a little sip of coffee and they nod and then off he goes. You know, like it's that that manly thing of like, no, we'll we'll just keep a stiff upper lip and. Hold this inside forever. I love that Viola Davis is like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's have coffee. We did a pretty rowdy thing one time. Remember that time yep. we killed an old man? Took a bunch of money? That, totally got away with it. It was crazy. It was the craziest thing. And then, of course, there is, the, because it's Steve McQueen and he can't leave you feeling too good, we find out Mulligan won the election because of the sympathy vote after his father was his father shot got killed. in a home invasion. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God. They got the money. Like, it's not a happy ending. They got the money, but they just damned everybody in that neighborhood except yep. for that one business owner who got that stacks of cash on her in her salon. But, like, nothing changed politically. Nope. You know? no. These three women got their Four women got theirs, and they spread it to one salon, and then nothing else changed. We're right back where we started. There's still no hope. For those four people, everything changed, though. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Like, it was, it was a, it was a bittersweet ending. There was no, a no, little, absolutely. There was a little bit going on. Yeah, it's Get not that all news clip at the very end about Mulligan. Got them like, God damn it. Yeah, you hear but that on the that radio. But the other Manning is killing people. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, I mean, dude, it was. Hey, look, it's 2016 all over again. You're fucked either way, you know. Yep, you're pretty much. Yeah. Um. So, do you, look, man, do you have anything else? That was a lot of notes. It was a thick movie. It was kind of long, so I knew. And we're, yeah, we're still getting the getting the bugs out a little bit. Absolutely. Um, um, I, I dig it, man. I think I'm still a little bit – it's going to take another watch, I think. That's cool. Well, for sure. But you're yeah. to a place where you think, you, you think you'd give it another watch to give it oh, a watch. Oh, absolutely. I wasn't before. Okay. I was like, that was a movie. 
I'll watch any of his other flicks again. Yeah. Maybe not this. This one definitely is now going to be in the should watch again pile. Yeah, this will get another spin. So, um, where are you standing on McQueen? You still uh, is your top one still yeah. Hunger? Dude, what's um, your what's your order? Because my order has changed after watching this one. I think that Hunger is still number one. Yeah, I I'm gonna go Hunger, Twelve Years, Shame, and then this one. And I it, think that's exactly my list. That's my order. Yeah. As well. Yeah, yeah. Um, dude, I'm excited to see what he does next. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I can't wait, man. I cannot right. wait. So let's take this opportunity to thank our patrons. We have a new patron just in time for us getting the show back up and running again. We would like to welcome patron Cassandra. Um, ages and ages ago, Carl and I talked on the show about a fan who had reached out to us and who um, really loved the Virgin Suicides episodes. And from that point on, basically, we've been having like uh, we've been messaging back and forth with her yep. on Facebook. And um, she just signed up for uh, the Patreon last week. So that's we're, awesome. Well, yeah. Welcome to the FZK, Cassandra. Yeah, it's good to have you. Um, We will. Now we can have our conversations over on Patreon and everyone <laughs> can get in on the fun. Absolutely. Um, if you want to be part of a conversation over on Patreon, you can head to patreon.com slash quill and film. Uh, right now, um, we're still putting everything up without a paywall just because look, man, COVID fucking sucks. 2020 is heavy as hell. So we want to give you guys, um, extra content and we don't, you know, look, if unemployment's pretty damn high right now, um, if you want a little extra levity, if you want to listen to some when Harry met Michael, which dude, we can do that again now. How fucking exciting. I know we got like two more Harry Potters and a bunch of Halloweens left. Yeah, like so. 64 Halloweens and two Harry Potters. I'm all ready for uh, Rocky Loves Hockey. Nah, we got to get through this shit. Yeah, yeah. What is it? Mighty Ducks and Rock? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sports films. It's Rocky and the Mighty Ducks franchise. Um, but no, you can get bonus episodes and you can get shout outs on the show, which sound a little uh, something like this. Oh, this that's if you want to become a patron of the show. But if you want to just go and listen to content, that's all free right now. Until shit settles down, it's going to keep being free. So go on over there and you can check out all the stuff that we're putting over on Patreon and be part of the conversation. But if you want to support the show, you can get shout outs that sound a little something like this. We would like to thank uh, William Rockwood. Jesus, you got real sensual. Oh, yeah, dude. You got to put on like uh, like the 1 a.m. radio slot voice. <laughs> Talk radio. Well, I, the FCK. apparently Casey Shiby doesn't like it when I do the... We'd like to thank Casey Shiby boy. So I, I can't do that anymore. So I figured I'd do uh I'd do the dulcet sounds of loving radio two AM Interlocking Public Radio. Yeah, it's inter <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't want me interlocking public radio. I'm like, and now we're gonna do the entire side A off of Big Black's songs about fucking. This is for all the lovers out there. <laughs> Bad penny starts. All right, no, uh we would like to thank William Rockwood, uh Sarah Hartley, Kevin Ramirez. Kelly and Mike Wagner, Casey Scheibe, Jeffrey Morgan, David Rowney, Daniele Hartelli, Connor Sweeney. Stay tuned. We have some like Connor Sweeney is going to be a felt presence in our next episode. Uh, Brian Jackson and our newest patron, Cassandra. Thank you all. Thank you all so much for keeping the show going and for keeping the faith while Carl and I figured out our shit as all of Hell us yeah. have been figuring out our shit. If you want to drop us an email, it's measuringflixpodcast at gmail.com. We're going to get out of here because Carl and I are actually recording two episodes one day. 
back to back to doing it we haven't done it in a while it's gonna be kind of a long one but fuck dude we're gonna drop three episodes in three days and then uh maybe sometime early next week we're gonna have july or june done catching up on july hell yeah baby dude we're burning we're burning now just in time for august fuck yeah we're gonna be right on schedule just in time to be behind schedule feels like old time (laughs) yeah exactly it's like hey i know it's tuesday but we got one in the hopper so <laughs> all right um thank you all so much for listening we're getting out of here join us next week as we get we're gonna go deep into the submerged place in uh 2017 2018s 2017 jordan peele's 2017 fucking masterpiece i don't think i'm being too controversial there i don't think you are at all. Gonna, we'll be talking about get out so get on in